What's up, everybody? Really enjoyed my conversation with a longtime friend, Andy Bull Barge. He's the play-by-play commentator for the Lake Erie Crushers, an independent major league team out of the Frontier League. And he has worked in football, basketball, and now has been focusing on baseball commentary for the last seven or eight years and has his own radio show from 3 to 6 on weekdays in Lorain County. So want to welcome Andy Bull Barge. If you have any interest in sports, broadcasting, media, business, relations, networking, you should sit back, relax, and enjoy the next hour conversation with the one and only Bull Barge. Welcome back to the Optimal Life Podcast and joined by a longtime friend, uh, somebody I haven't talked to in quite some time. Welcome Andy Barge to the show. Andy Bull Barge, how you doing, brother? I'm great, King. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. It's good to catch up with you, and I thought you'd be a fascinating person to bring on the show um, because of your background in media, uh, communications, and uh, what's going on, man? What are you uh, What are you doing these days? These days, for those who are listening right now that are out of the Lorraine County area, or you know the western portions of Cuyahoga County, and even to some degree in Medina County. Uh, I work for AM 930 WEOL. It's a radio station that's located in downtown Elyria, but we serve Lorain County, like I say, the western portion of Cuyahoga County. We get deep into Medina County as well. And uh, basically, man, I, I host the afternoon drive. So from three to six, Mondays through Fridays, we tackle topics and news sports and entertainment you know me very well so you know my background is primarily in sports but you know that doesn't keep us from talking about things outside the world of sports you know we'll dive in entertainment you know we'll dive into what's going on in the loot and the news but mostly local news we don't really dive into the national scene very much unless there's something happening in the national scene that affects us here locally but i've been doing it since late february uh, everything kind of fell into place towards the beginning of 2017 and then I was hired in January of last year, and then once the pieces fell into place, I think my first day here at WEOL was early February of 2017, and about two weeks later, we got the show going. It's called Bullseye on the Afternoon, just because, you know, my nickname is, is Bull, and we were trying to think of a creative idea that we think, you know, is going to stick not just for a year, but for a while. So, uh, yeah, man, everything just kind of fell into place. It's... A bit of a long story. I'm not sure if we have time to get into that or not, but I mean, it was just no, a perfect opportunity. That's, that that's that's no, that's that's great. Can you can you take us back to the early portion of when this all began? Take us back to um, you know your your path, starting back when you graduated from Bowling Green, and where you went from there to get to to where you are now. What what was your first step after Bowling Green? Well, at Bowling Green, I was kind of lucky because I was able to work for an organization that gave you a lot of on-air experience because when you're in college, you know, you're not getting paid for anything that you do, but you're getting paid an experience. You may not get the dollars and cents, but you get the time, you get the hands-on experience. And when you do something like this, when you're on air, it's all about confidence, you know, you do find out pretty quickly who can and who can't do it, but it's not something you can just walk right into and be very good at. You know, it takes time 
to hone your craft and get good. I mean, not just to be confident in front of a microphone, but in order to be confident, to be articulate, you need all those elements to be able to stand in front of a microphone and be able to speak to a large audience every day, or even a small audience, too. I mean, it's one of those things that everybody looks at it on the surface, and you think, wow, that's pretty simple. Anybody can do that. And in theory, right, anybody can stand in front of a microphone, but I think a lot of people see a microphone, they get nervous, they don't know how to respond. So my four years at Bowling Green were predicated on that, just getting a lot of experience, you know, learning from your mistakes. I think with my past and play-by-play and hosting talk shows and things like that, you get a pretty good sense as to what doesn't work early on in your career. And I think at Bowling Green, the fact that I was able to kind of take my licks, so to speak, early on for four years... I would host talk shows for five hours every Saturday. I would learn how to interact with other people on talk shows. And I think that's a big thing, too. I mean, to be able to speak for a few hours by yourself on a talk show is one thing, but to learn how to interact, you know, I think that's that's a really big part of it, too. I, I think you learn all those things, and that essentially makes you better. If I had gone somewhere else and I would have sat around for four years and read a book on how to do this stuff, that would have been fine, but there's no substitute for that hands-on experience. When I was at Bowling Green, a good buddy of mine, his brother took over as a general manager of a team called the Jamestown Jammers. They were, anyways, a Florida Marlins affiliate in the New York Penn League. It's a short-season league. It's like the almost the lowest ring of the minor leagues that you can get to. There's an Arizona league. There's a, a Florida. There's a, a Gulf Coast league. Those are primarily rookie leagues. This is like a step just above that. So anyways, you know, my last year at Bowling Green, I was looking to get a summer internship somewhere. I was looking to break into sports media, but I was looking primarily for a play-by-play job. And, and you know how these things work. It's all about who you know. It is all about who Absolutely. you know. So I, just, I got lucky. I was at the right place at the right time, and I was ready when it happened. So, you know, this, this guy that took over as the general manager of Jamestown, his name's Eric Edelstein. He said, hey, look, you know, Obviously, the guy's been, you know, a friend of mine for a while. I'm really good friends with his brother, Jeff. And, you know, Jeff had said, hey, look, Eric's looking to hire a radio guy. Eric's heard you before. You know, he's heard a lot of your work at Bowling Green. He thinks it'll be a good opportunity for you. But he said you have to apply for it, though. You know, they're not just going to hire you. You have to apply like everybody else. So I said, okay, that's fine. And I remember having that conversation saying, hey, Eric, I would love this. You know, I think this is a great opportunity for me. And he said, look, I'm not going to lie to you. He said, we get calls about this job every single day. People want to, people want jobs like this because it's an easy way of breaking into the business. He said, we're going to go through the hiring process. I got a lot of qualified candidates. He said, you know, I've heard you before, so I know what you bring to the table. But he said, I need you to apply. We need to see how you stack up against the rest of the applicants. Now, the crazy thing here, man, is keep in mind, you know, I was 22 at the time. And I had done primarily a ton of basketball. I had done a lot of football. And I really thought that those were my two strengths at the time. I had done a handful of baseball games. So this guy kind of, you know, he he was listening to me based on what I had done in talk shows and baseball or basketball and football games, rather. But I didn't have a whole lot of baseball experience, which is kind of crazy because here we are 20 years later. And now I've done, you know, thousands of baseball games. But, you know, back then. I didn't have a great deal of experience. Yeah. He said, he, he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to either send me whatever baseball material you have or do what a lot of guys do. You know, watch an old baseball game, do two innings of play-by-play, and send that to me. Right. So that's what I did, and I went through the interviewing process, and 
the rest, as they say, is history, man. As far as Jamestown goes, that was my first professional gig. I got hired as an intern. I worked for the summer of 2003, and that ultimately blossomed into a number of other opportunities. That's great, man. And it seems like it's such a cutthroat business. It's such a tough business to break into. Um, You know, communications, you hear kids coming out of college all the time with communications degrees, and they want to get into some type of media, whether it's TV or radio or something else. And uh, those jobs, as hard as they were to get back in 2003, 4, and 5, when we were coming out of college and you know going into the real world, um, I would imagine that those jobs are even fewer and far between these days because simply because of all the changes and shifts that we're seeing from uh, you know these other medians like you know ESPN having to get rid of a bunch of their talent and all these other organizations that are cutting back strictly because internet and technology seems to be changing the business. Do you see that as well? A little bit. I think it, there's there's two ways of going about answering that. The first part of that is I think the kids that are coming out of college today they're armed and ready because they've got more information at their disposal than we had when we were coming out of college. Not that we didn't have it. I mean, we had access to the Internet, but I want to say more information is available. And I think there are more promotional tools available to an individual now than there were back then. To sure. give you an example, when I got out of college and after I had done my internship with Jamestown, it was December. And it took me about three months to get anybody to bite on any information that I sent. Now, back then, you know, you had to use snail mail. I mean, you had to put together big old packages with your resume, cover letters, CDs, you know, in some cases, you know, radio stations were kind of in that crossover period where they didn't take CDs. They would only take those old school cassette tapes. Jeez. So, I mean, you were dealing with what's now considered dead technology. Whereas these days, you know, anybody can set up a free SoundCloud account. It's right. easy. Right. It's very simple. You know, you could put your best foot forward by thinking about your best audio samples and putting them down with an easy recording device and then you put them in a SoundCloud account. So all you have to do is send a prospective employer a link to your SoundCloud account and say, boom, here you go. It's an easy email with a, you know, a PDF or a Word document or whatever it is you decide to use with a cover letter and a resume. You're not spending all that money on snail mail, sending these packages out all over, all over the country like I was back in the, the spring and the winter of 2004. In, yeah. in, in that regard, it's a little bit easier because, you know, you, you can self-promote a heck of a lot easier. People can do a pretty simple search on you these days to find out what you're all about. Now, right. You're right. It is a little bit different because there aren't nearly as many jobs available as there were when you and I were coming out of college. I mean, the industry itself has kind of changed. I mean, I, I never really got into the video end of things too much. That was never really my Such thing. a handsome guy like you, man. A handsome guy like you. Yeah. you, you you're not <laughs> you're not for the uh, not for the TV. I'm shocked to hear that. I did it for a semester, man, and it was a lot of fun. So, you know, when you and I were growing up, you'd watch SportsCenter every day, and the catchphrase was the big thing back then. I kind of capitalized on that, and I did that for a little bit. But then, you know, it got to a point where you would see the same things over and over and over and over again on TV, and I feel like we're running through that same cycle right now. Like, you hear people complain a lot about SportsCenter because they don't really show highlights anymore. They try diving Mm. into too many different categories that probably shouldn't dive into. So, you know, for TV, man, I just never, I never got into it. It was a lot of fun being an anchor for a semester in college, but I cut my teeth in radio and the opportunities that were available for me when I got out of college, I took that and I ran with it. But I mean, to, to, to get back to what I was saying with TV, 
a lot of jobs were available coming out of college of being just a videographer or just being an anchor or just being a reporter. But TV stations a lot of times have cut down on that. Some of the bigger stations obviously still have all three of those, but a lot of those smaller stations were, you know, they've really cut their budget substantially. You're working basically all three of those jobs and you're getting paid the same amount. So that's really changed because, like you just said, I mean, they're finding ways to make sure that they can make ends meet. So they're cutting positions and they're making people do more with less. Yeah. So basically, what you're saying is um, the jobs may have been more available back then, uh, more jobs available, but less access. And, and and now it's kind of flipped where now there's less jobs available, but more access than ever through these technologies. That's that's what it sounds like you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And look, there's no, you know, people will always tell you, no matter what line of work you're in, you know, if, if they don't advertise, it's because they put out a product that's so incredibly good that by word of mouth, they've been able to get the word out there and they've been able to promote their product by word of mouth. So word of mouth advertising is not just something that's prevalent in big business but look i mean if you're trying to make a name for yourself once you get into the business you have to make as many contacts as you possibly can and really that's how a lot of guys will tell you that's how they get their jobs because they're able to find ways to connect the dots so steve mears is a guy that i worked with when i was at bowling green steve i always thought was one of the best hockey play-by-play announcers i've ever come across now i'm not a big hockey guy but i can tell you that as a play-by-play guy Hockey is one of the most difficult sports to conquer. But if you can conquer hockey, you can conquer almost anything. Well, Steve's been around the block and back. Steve actually got his start at Bossier Shreveport down in Louisiana. He was able to transition that into a job with the New York Islanders. And now he's the TV play-by-play voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins, which is kind of like a dream job for him because he grew up in Pittsburgh and he was a Penguins guy. Well, I would always pick Steve's brain, and I still do to this day, to find out what he does to keep himself fresh and how he's able to still keep himself out in the open and create some more opportunities for himself. Absolutely. One of the things he told me when he was working for Bozier Shreveport and then he landed that job with the Islanders, he said, look, he said, you can't meet any strangers. He said, when you see jobs are available, people in sports have a tendency of moving up. You don't know who's going to move up and you don't know when they're going to move up. But if you have a good working relationship with these people, when a broadcast position opens up, if you already have an existing relationship with somebody within the organization, you've got somebody going to bat for you. And then you're not just a name and a stack of resumes. And in that line of work, if you're just a name and a stack of resumes, you're never going to make it. People want to hire people who they trust or they want to hire people who know people that they trust. It's one of those it's universal. Where if yeah. you can find a way, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, and if you can find a way to to create as many of those connections as you possibly can, when jobs pop up that you really want, chances are you're going to know somebody within that organization that's going to go to bat for you. And that that blew me away with Steve because Steve knows a ton of people, and yeah. it's very rare that you would look at a hockey handbook to find out who's working on a hockey staff at whatever level of hockey from the NHL on down. He would know somebody on staff so that if a job popped up, he would go right to that person and say, hey, you know, this job popped up. I'm obviously very interested. Is there anything that you can do for me? And I always found that fascinating because, you know, you're so focused on your finished on-air product that a lot of times you forget about everything else that comes along with it. And it's easy to get lost in the mix there because you're focused on being the best 
on the air that you could possibly be. So true. But if you're not, yeah, but, if, but if you're not good off the air, there are a lot of people that will easily dismiss you. Well, that's such a good point, and that's it's true in, in, in probably every business across the board. And you know, sometimes the people with the greatest talent on the field or on air or you know in the courtroom or in the classroom. It doesn't always translate to the ones that are getting the, the best jobs, and that's because they lack the networking and they lack the relationship, which, again, is arguably more important than anything else. I'll, I'll even go back to when uh, Michael Redguy was doing the Cavs games, and Dan Gilbert came in, and Dan Gilbert said, hey, I want my guy, and uh, now you know they've got uh, uh, Fred McLeod, right? Yes. So Fred, I think Fred was a Gilbert guy, and he brought him in. And, you know, Michael Regai was, in my opinion, was one of the best play-by-play guys I've ever heard in the NBA. Um, But, again, he didn't have – so the relationship with with Gilbert for – just to kind of give a real-world example from what you just said, the relationship mattered. And and that's at a very high level, but you're saying the relationships matter across the board. So whether it's – uh, somebody that's you know in management at the station, or somebody else that's internal that can introduce you to somebody that can introduce you to somebody else. I mean, that's where a lot of people fall short. Yeah, and, and that that's an interesting example you bring up because you're right. There was certainly an uproar because people in Cleveland loved Michael Reg. I mean, as far as I know, Reg is still around in this area doing. He does a lot of freelance work, and I. I've always enjoyed Reg. I, I, I'm a big Me fan too. of what he Me does. Too. I wasn't happy that they dismissed him, but I mean, look, that's that's a perfect example of how cutthroat a business that it really is. I mean, yeah. he was beloved by this entire community, but when a new owner comes in with an idea as to who he wants to hire, you know, who are we to tell the owner that he can't make that decision? You know what I mean? Right. He's and nothing against Fred McLeod, who's fantastic too, but again, it was just about the relationship more so than it was the on-air capability. You know? Yeah, and you know, if you look at it this way, he was in no hurry to replace Joe Tate. I mean, Joe Tate's an absolute legend, and I think he knew that there was no way in the world he could ever get away with that because at the time, you know, Joe may have been towards the end of his career when that ownership change took place, but I think Dan Gilbert knew that was not a path that he wanted to cross <laughs> simply because Joe Tate's had establishment in this town. I mean, he had been calling Cavalier games for nearly 40 years, and that guy is forever going to go down as one of the most beloved sports figures in this entire city. So, Absolutely with, with Red Guy, you're right, though. I think it was the pre-existing relationship with Fred McLeod. He was a Gilbert guy, and that's fine. Look, I mean, you have to be able to work that side of it in this business, but, I mean, you have to also be able to understand that there are going to be situations that come up like the one involving Michael Red Guy. And I thought Reg handled that pretty well, as well yeah. as he possibly could. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Sometimes you experience things like that that just flat-out suck. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. could have a great year. You could do great things. And at the end of the year, if the station is not meeting its bottom line, sometimes they've got to make cuts. And, yep. you know, the cuts aren't exactly the they're, – they're the worst part of this business. There's no question about yeah. that. Good people lose their jobs, and it's not fair, And you know, but, but it happens. And when it happens, your exit will say a lot about you. You know, if you walk out of there and you start putting everybody that you work with down from the top all the way on down to the bottom, people remember that. You know, but if you go out with class, the next time you have an opportunity to get a job and you've got a good pre-existing relationship with somebody, there's a better than average chance that you'll at least get a foot in the door of the interview process. Absolutely. So uh, back to you, back to you, um, you know, briefly taking taking us through 
your ascent into this uh, media world because, uh, you know, it, it takes time. My opinion and my humble opinion, you are one of the greatest voices that I've ever heard. I haven't listened to a ton of your games, you know, full full length, but and I'm not saying this because we're friends. I think that you are unequivocally one of the great talents that uh, you have a perfect on-air voice. You're passionate. You're compassionate. You're you're energetic. You're 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 all in, and you feel it in your um, in your broadcast. So you start off. You were doing the West Virginia Power from 2004 to 2009, and and that's a, uh, a Class A of Major League Baseball. Yeah, yeah. So you know, we just got done talking about making good connections, right? Well, I remember. The year I worked in Jamestown, I mean, and this will kind of come full circle here, but when I was working in Jamestown, I didn't realize this, but I was actually working for a team that played against the team of my future boss. So a guy that I had done a lot of radio at Bowling Green with, uh, Greg Gagne, he's now the AA announcer for the Erie Seawolves in the Eastern League. They're a Tigers AA affiliate. Well, he had worked for the Mahoning Valley Scrappers. And again, these guys are in the same league as Jamestown. Andy Milovich was the general manager of that team. Now, you know, this, I'm not putting all radio guys under the same umbrella here, but some guys have a tendency to be a little high maintenance, and, you know, they, they don't mean to be, but sometimes they are. And, and I get that, man. <laughs> Look, I've been a radio guy for the last 15, 20 years, and sometimes they stand out when they necessarily shouldn't stand out. I'll, you know, I hope that sounds okay. So there are guys that go into certain ballparks in certain cities and general managers recognize them because they stand out for the wrong reasons. Mm. I never wanted to be that guy. Still don't want to be that guy. If you, if you recognize me, hopefully it's because you recognize the things that I do well, not because I'm high maintenance and you dread me coming to town or coming to your gym or wherever. So in the summer of 2003, when I was in Jamestown, you know, Andy Milovich was the GM of Mahoney Valley He'd walk by, say hello, that was it, you know, and and for an opposing general manager, that's all he needs to do. He doesn't even need to come say hello to me, but he was nice enough to come in and introduce himself. Well, anyways, he ended up getting the job down in Charleston. The Charleston opportunity, they were closing out the chapter on an old ballpark that had been around for 50 years, and they were getting ready to begin a new chapter at a brand new ballpark, a $23 million facility. And, you know, they were going to go to a statewide radio network. It was a great opportunity. Well, you know, the stars just kind of aligned. You know, the guy I had worked for previously, Eric Edelstein, knew Andy very well. I mean, general managers typically know each other pretty well in the same league. So they got to talking when the radio opportunity popped up. Greg Gagne, who I said was the radio guy in Mahoney Valley, then ended up going double-A Erie in, in uh, Pennsylvania in the Eastern League. You know, Gagne had worked for Andy Milovich. And he put in a good word and said, hey, you know, I can vouch for this guy. He's He does really good work. Well, I remember sitting down for that interview when, you know, Milovich called me in and he said, hey, he goes, you know, I knew most of the radio guys last year. He goes, I remember seeing you. I mean, you physically, you're a guy I wouldn't forget. But he goes, I don't really remember hearing a whole lot about you. I said, well. Yeah, well, real quick, said, bud, for anyone that doesn't know, I mean, tell tell everyone, what are you, like 6'6"? Six, six? How tall are you? I'm about six. <laughs> I'm about six four a good day. Six four. Hey, listen, man. Hey, let, this is. Uh, I, I'm trying to give you a little bit here. It's like the NBA players. They always add a couple inches. I figured maybe we would do the same for, for you. Know, you. Okay, let, 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 let's stick with that. Then. Yeah, six six. He's six six two fifty. What do you? How, what are you? Six. You're six four. You're a big dude, man. Yeah, 
Anyways, go ahead. Four, but I, I got the nickname Bull, you know, for those that remember the NBC sitcom Night Court back in the mid-80s to the early 90s. There was a bailiff in the show Night Court. His name was Bull Shannon. So people say that I look a lot like Bull Shannon. So there you go. Bull okay. Moniker just kind of stuck. So I mean, yes, yeah, so and that's that's kind of how I stood out to him when he right. when, I, when I came in. He goes, "I remember you." Now he said, "You look a lot like you look a lot like Bull from Night Court." So we, <laughs> we started talking, and that, that's when he said, "You know, I don't remember hearing a whole lot from you." And I said, "Well, that that's a good thing, right?" I said, "If you start hearing a lot from a radio guy, that's probably not a good thing." He said, mm. "You're right." He said, "I meant that as a compliment." So, you know, we got to talking. He listened to my tapes, all that good stuff, and you know about two weeks later he ended up offering me the job now that's awesome here's the kicker with that man. at the same time i auditioned for a 10 to noon sports talk show up in lansing michigan and you know it, it was like for three months i had put some information out there i sent out all these tapes and i got absolutely nothing in return nobody said anything that all of a sudden i had two opportunities pop up so i had you know this one in charleston obviously and then i auditioned for a show up in lansing michigan well you know, Charleston offered, and I was like, okay, well, let me talk to the guys in Lansing because that sounds like a really cool opportunity as well. We hadn't gone over dollars and cents, any of that kind of stuff. And, you know, I mean, I was three months out of college, so I didn't have a whole lot of money to begin with, man. So I wasn't about to tell one team no, you know, when the other side hadn't even made an offer yet. So right. I go to the guys up in Lansing and I said, hey, uh, I know you don't really want to make your decision based off of somebody else, but I said, I'm in a position right now where these guys offered me a job. I said, I don't know what you're, where you guys are at in the process, but I I can't put these guys off very long because the season starts here in two weeks. Well, the guy who was the program director at the station up at Lansing, he said, well, I'm not going to make your decision any easier, but he said, I, I'm not going to have a decision until the beginning of next week. He said, I know, I know that puts you in a really tough spot, but he said, I can't make my decision based off of a team down in Charleston, West Virginia. And I said, okay, I respect that. I understand that. And about a day later, I called him back and said, look, I, I can't leave an offer on the table because if I wait for you to make a decision on Monday and the Charleston team says, you know what, sorry, the season starts in two yeah. weeks. We can't wait for you to make up your mind. You know, I couldn't say that I blame him. So I was in a position at 24 years old, man, where I was like, I, I can't say no to an offer. Yep. So I took the offer, man. And, you know, like I say, I, I stayed there for six years and i saw some really good players roll through there i saw ryan braun in 2005 and oh nice i saw hunter pence he played for an opposing team uh i ended up uh, my so one of my claims to fame down there was i called michael brantley's first professional home run it wow was a, yeah it was, it was great awesome. stuff, man brantley was a good dude he was yeah. with that team for about a year and a half Mm -hmm. And he was one of those dudes that when you saw him, some guys you see, even all the way down to that level, you just know those guys are destined for great things. And Brantley stood out. Yeah. Make a quick, quick story about Brantley. So, you know, I, I call, I call this first professional bomb. It was a walk-off home run, bottom of the 10th inning. It was what they call it, a school day game. A game that starts at 10 o'clock in the morning. Those games are designed so that kids can come that don't normally get the chance to come to games. A lot of times they come with their schools, it's part of like an end-of-the-year field trip as a reward for good attendance, good behavior, good grades, all that good stuff. So he ended the game with a walk-off home run at the bottom of the 10th inning. Well, fast forward about a year and a half. If you remember in 2008, the Indians made that trade with the Brewers. C.C. Sabathia went to the Brewers. Indians end up getting Matt Laporta, Rob Bryson. 
Uh, there was another relief pitcher involved in there. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. And then there was that infamous player to be named later. So in this trade, Rod Bryson sat right behind me on the bus. He sat right behind me on the bus. And Bryson was a great dude. I, I loved being around that guy. He couldn't have been any nicer about it. Well, you gotta, you got to keep in mind, though, Bryson was 20 years old, I think, when this trade went down. And when you're involved in a trade for a Cy Young Award winner, that's normally a very good thing. What that means in the baseball world is that a scout saw you and thought very highly of you because when they're putting together prospects to put together in a trade, normally a scout looked at you and said, yes, we want that guy, so there's a higher priority on that guy. That means you'll get extra chances to succeed in that next system. Right. But going back to Bryson, man, he was 20 years old. He was in shell shock. You know, when that trade went down, we were playing on a Sunday afternoon at home getting on a bus later on that night to drive down to Augusta, Georgia, which is about a nine-hour poke. It's a long overnight bus ride. Well, when that trade went down, our guys went back to the clubhouse when the game was over. The manager of the team, he had to call the farm. He got a call from the farm director. The farm director's talking to the general manager, and they're talking about what prospects are involved in that trade. Bryson finds out he's not going on the bus. He's staying in Charleston waiting for either Milwaukee to give him clearance to drive his car up to Lake County, which of course is an Indians affiliate, or if he's getting in a plane to fly somewhere else. So as it turns out, the Indians told him, you're going to go up to Lake County. And he was thinking, man, this, my world just got rocked. Yep. Totally rocked. You know, 20 years old, he made a lot of great friendships in the Brewers organization. And then he comes to find out he's been traded. Well, I remember getting to the hotel early that next morning in Augusta, and I called him and said, hey, man, congratulations. And he was like, well, I I guess. But I'm like, no, man, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. I said, think of it this way, like I just played out for you a few minutes ago. A scout from the Indians organization looked at you, saw you, and said, we want that guy in the trade. Yeah. So they put extra yep. emphasis on getting you there's a higher priority for you to succeed because you're involved in a major deal where they let where they traded away a side young award winner. Mm. And you know, it, it's interesting in that position because you know you talk to these guys and you find out how they feel about these trades. And Absolutely. again, it, it was it was good for Bryson because he's a great dude. I enjoyed being around him. Well, you know, Brantley ends up being the player to be named later, mm. and we didn't know it at the time. So the way I understand the trade, and. and Perhaps I'm wrong on this, and if I am, I apologize, but this is the way it was explained to me. There was a list of players for both teams to choose from. Now, here was here was the deciding factor. If the Brewers went to the playoffs, the Indians got to pick the player. And I think that's simply explained because if the Brewers went to the playoffs, that means the trade worked out significantly in their favor because Sabathia helped them get to the playoffs, which he did that year. But if the Brewers did not go to the playoffs, they got to pick a player from this list. So, wow. of course, the Brewers end up going to the playoffs. The Indians get to pick the player. I had heard there were somewhere in the area of five to ten names on this list. Mm -hmm. So they, of course, pick out Michael Brantley, which was a rumored name on the list. Well, without naming any names, I had talked to some guys in the Brewers organization that said, no way Brantley can be on that list. He can't be. He can't be on that list because he's too good. Well, you know, we all know what happened years ago now, so yeah. Brantley apparently made his way on that list. Right. He's the only player still playing in the system from that trade, and you can make the argument, and some people will probably battle against this, but I think you can make the argument that the Indians 
have won that trade because the Brewers ended up getting a half year Sabathia. He ended up getting him to the playoffs. But think about what Michael Brantley has done. Sure, he's gone through some injuries over the years, but think about what Michael Brantley has done, especially over the course of the last six or seven years. He's yeah. been a huge part of what the Indians have done. And again, you could certainly state the case that the Indians have won that trade based on what Michael Brantley's given them. That's a great story. That's that's really uh, interesting. And that's why we love, love – these are the types of things I wanted to, to get into and bring you on for because these are the things, these behind-the-scenes stories that most people never hear. So – it's a great insight. Um, back to you. You're, you you uh, work with the West Virginia Power for five, six years, um, which is a Class A affiliate of the Pirates, Brewers, and Blue Jays. Uh, at least that's what it was when you were <clears throat> when you were there. Um, Correct. So you called over 800 games. It says here in your bio, and uh, for the for the West Virginia Power. And then uh, in 2009, you were named Ballpark Digest's runner-up for Broadcaster of the Year. Man, what is what is that, and how do you earn that award? Oh, yeah. Yes, I got kind of lucky that year. Oh yeah, that was actually kind of cool. That was that was kind of cool. So <laughs> I, I think what happened was one of my buddies in the league, he had nominated me for that award, and that's something that's well, I think. Somebody has to nominate you, and then I don't know who votes on it exactly. I'm not sure what kind of panel is involved in voting on that. But the guys at Ballpark Digest, they do a nice job every single year. They talk about the front office staff of the year, the ballpark of the year. They do a broadcaster of the year. And, you know, they go all the way on down through the forum to figure out who is going to be what award winner that year. And like I said, Ballpark Digest is legit. That's a, they, they've been a very well-respected baseball publication for many, 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 yeah, many years. That's huge. That's so, great. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who, who voted on this. I don't know how I was selected, but I remember. Uh. I remember somebody bust. I, I thought somebody was busting my chops because I saw that. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. Well, then I saw four or five people start loading up my inbox saying, "Hey, congratulations!" I'm like, "On what?" And then I saw the story come out. I'm like, "Oh, all right, maybe there is some legitimacy to this." But that was kind of cool. That's I mean, beautiful. You know, just to have the respect yeah. of the guys that do the same thing you do that thought enough of you a to nominate you, and then you know, for a few other guys that jumped in on that also, and they kind of backed the nomination and that was able to give me a little more clout so i mean that was that was really cool stuff so that and that and that catapulted you um obviously to where you are uh you know where you are essentially now which is with the lake Erie crushers um and uh so you've been doing baseball games for quite a while but you were also doing a little bit of were you doing some those football games in between like for that notre dame at that time yeah yeah yeah, so at the end of 2009, I had just kind of come to a crossroads. You know, when I was living in Charleston, West Virginia, I was doing a job that I thoroughly enjoyed, but I always wanted to come back home. I mean, you know, I've, you know, my, you know, I've got two brothers up here. They've actually, they're married. They both got kids now. And, you know, it's. And home it's for you fun. is like the Northeast Ohio area for those yeah, that don't so know. Yeah. I had always had aspirations of coming back up to Northeast Ohio. And this has always been a market I wanted to make it in. So the job that I picked out wasn't exactly what I had in mind, but it was a job to come back home and, and work and work in Cleveland. So it was a good opportunity, and, and I kind of felt like at the time I had done all I could do in Charleston. I made a lot of great friendships down there, a lot of great relationships down there. The people down there treated me really, really well. But, you know, sometimes you just feel like you get to the end of the rope. You feel like you've done all that you can do, and I wasn't sure 
how much more I could do or if I could do more down there to open up some doors. And I figured, you know what? I feel like I've opened some doors up in Cleveland. This is a good opportunity to jump in. So I was hired as the assistant sports information director at Notre Dame College. Uh, it's NCAA Division II institution. Uh, hard to explain what an SID does. If any of your listeners are SIDs, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Trying to explain what you do to other people is difficult. Basically, the finished product is when you go to a an athletics website for any college anywhere in America, you see the finished product of what an SID does, but there's a lot of other stuff that goes into it. So I did that. Notre Dame launched its football program in 2010 as a varsity program. And on ESPN Cleveland, we did all of our games. It was on the WKNR sister station, ESPN 1540 KNR2. So, you know, I did the football games for Notre Dame as I was the SID as well. And that lasted all the way up until last January. Ah, interesting. Today of 930 WEOL. So I was there for a while. Now, the Crushers thing, you know, to go back to the beginning of the conversation, it's all about who you know, right? Well, I worked with uh, Dan Helm who was the general manager for the crushers at the time uh, you know dan dan and i worked right across from each other we you know we had cubicles right next to each other in west virginia and dan ended up moving up here about a month after i did to take his job with the lake erie crushers so after a year of working up with the, with the crushers dan said hey you know the radio guy from last year is not coming back we're obviously looking for somebody else to replace him you know would you be interested if we opened this thing up? I said, yeah, absolutely, I'd be interested. I mean, I've seen the ballpark. I love the ballpark, love the operation. I mean, I'd, it would be a bit of a commute for me because I was living on the east side of Cleveland at the time, and the Lake Erie Crushers, for the, who, those who don't know, they operate out of Avon, which is clear across town on the west side. Right. So, it's a good 45 you know, minutes away, right? Yeah. and it, Getting around downtown Cleveland can be very easy or it can be very difficult. depends on the time of the day you exactly. do it. Exactly. But, but, yeah, I mean, I – I said, yeah, man, I'd love to throw my name in the ad. He gave me the details. I said, all right, well, here's my resume. Here's my, here are my tapes. You know, we went through the process, and at the end of it, he, he, he said, look, if this decision is up to me, it's a slam dunk. He said, I, you know, I, I, I know what you bring to the table. I enjoy what you bring to the table. I'm going to send your stuff to the owner as well to make sure he's cool with it. And he sent the information to the owner. The owner loved it, and, you know, here we are. I'm still working for the team under a new ownership regime seven years later so that's beautiful that's absolutely beautiful and, and and that was a phenomenal decision on their part i mean again they have in my opinion one of the best play-by-play guys in the business uh, and, and i say <clears throat> i say that wholeheartedly um you have the energy and the enthusiasm and, and just the wherewithal to go as far as you want in this business and i think it's crazy and it's crazy to think that you're still you know that that uh and I know you're happy where you are, and I know this radio station, and we'll get a little bit into your show to, before we finish off. Um, things are going great for you, and I know you're thrilled. You're thrilled. I'm just stunned that uh, that we haven't seen you know a, a major team come your way. But again, I also know you're still young when when it comes to that in the business. I mean, how how old are is the is there like an average age of a play by play or color commentator that does like the you know the major professional teams like a Cavs or Browns or Indians? Is there, an, is there an average age amongst all people in that in that field? Well, first off, I appreciate the compliments, man. I, I truly appreciate that, man. Thank you very much. And uh, as far as an age, it varies. You know, I, I think 
companies anymore, these big businesses, man, these big media conglomerates, they're they're not going to hire anybody based on age. I don't want to say there's any average age involved. I think mm. they're looking for the best possible candidate yeah. that they can find, no, no matter what age there is. I'm not sure if there's an average age because you see guys doing this deep into their 70s. Hell, Vince Scully did this all the way up until last year, and, and Vin could probably still do it today if yeah. he wanted to. And I mean, I guess what I'm saying, I guess what I'm saying is real quick is, is, is I guess there's, you know, for us, we're we're in our mid to late 30s, uh, people in that range. You don't really see those guys doing the major sports teams quite yet. I mean, I feel like when you turn on the TV, it probably is when, once you're starting, you're already into your 40s and, and maybe even 50s when you're actually getting that opportunity. You know, yeah. no, just turn on the TV. I mean, you could see it across all this, all the channels for anyone listening. Yeah, you got to pay your dues. You got, you certainly got to pay your dues, and I think it's like that in any line of work. But I mean, look, for I want to say it was about 13 years ago, there was a guy who'd been doing this for a while. He said, "If you're doing the baseball thing, and you know, a lot of what I do is based on my baseball experience because I've been calling baseball games for almost 15 years." He said, "You've got to take the first couple of years." to figure out who you are what kind of style that you want to bring to the table everybody's different everybody's way way different you know for me i found out that <coughs> i can still be accurate in calling a baseball game but i can also talk about other topics yeah and you know you receive different compliments throughout the course of your career and some really stand out for example there is a guy who's who listened to me call games in west virginia he was blind he couldn't see the games so he told me that my account of the game helped him see the game, which that's, beautiful. You know, that's an incredible comment. That is beautiful. Yeah, you're helping a blind man see something he couldn't normally see. I heard somebody else call in and say, "Hey, I'm a parent for a visiting team. The guy that calls games for me, I, you know, he's okay. But whenever my son is playing against the team that you call games for, I would rather listen to you. And that really stands there out you because go. Yeah. I've been on the other end of that where people say, hey, I couldn't get your station one day. I had to listen to the visiting team, but I didn't enjoy it as much. So <laughs> yeah. that really stood out. Hey, well, listen, I'm telling you, for anyone that doesn't know, you got to check check Andy out. Uh, Andy Bobarch, B-A-R-C-H. This guy is absolutely incredible. Works with the Lake Erie Crushers. but And I know baseball is your, uh, you know, is your specialty these days. But just to give my listeners a little sample of what I'm talking about, take a listen to this clip of Andy Bullbarge doing a final call of Notre Dame's football win over number eight Shepard. This goes back to October 2014, and you'll see what I'm saying. Take a listen. This will be a 34-yard field goal. Joe, you mentioned that win. It is whipping here. Earl certainly has shown the leg to uh, to get it through from from 34, but that wind is is swirling and howling, and everything just seems a little rushed with their kicking game. So I'll be interested to see if they can get this snap back and down. The kick will be set for right down the middle of the field. Again, a 34-yard attempt to give Shepard the lead. Snap back, hold down. The kick is on the way, and it is no good. He missed it wide to the left. Shot it wide left, and the Notre Dame Falcons are going to shock the Shepherd Rams. Ryan Earls missed the field goal wide to the left, and the Falcons are going to take down the top dogs of the Mountain East Conference. The Falcons lead 35 34, 21 seconds left. But this is just a matter of a snap and a knee, and it'll hands down be the biggest victory in the history of this program. 
what I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I mean, that's a. Uh, that was awesome, man. That was a lot of fun. I mean, you got to remember when you're when you're calling games for the same teams, you you try and call things objectively. You try and do it right down the middle. But there's a bit of an emotional attachment to a team like that. I mean, that in that instance, you're talking about a, a Notre Dame team that's kind of still on the upstart, about five years into being a varsity program, and they're taking on a nationally ranked, undefeated team that hadn't lost in two years of conference play. And that was something special, man. That was that was a lot of fun. I remember talking to coach howard a couple days later and he had said hey he goes we're going to use that clip and use that to our advantage of recruiting during this offseason man that was awesome but that was i gotta tell you man that's yeah that was beautiful i i don't care if you are, are the the farthest thing from a football fan or any sports fan for that matter when you hear a call like that with the enthusiasm and passion that you bring to the table man it, it makes me want to go watch that game i don't even know I have no no interest in Notre Dame football division two, like you said, uh, or what was it? Division one, double A, two. What was it? It was division two. Yeah, yeah division two. I, I, you know, but you hear that kind of emotion in your voice. It's just it's a that's a that's a beautiful piece of of artwork there, man. So keep keep doing what you're doing, um, and I have no doubt that you'll continue to climb and, and uh, be at the top of this game as you continue to go down your professional path, which takes us to. Uh, like you said, you've been working with Lake Erie Crushers for the last uh, since 2011, so about seven years, and uh, and you're working with uh, the radio station W E O L in uh, Lorraine County. Is that correct? Yeah, those things too, brother. Where it's like you, you, I use that experience with the Crushers and the connections that I built with the Crushers to land this job here too. That's oh, awesome. Like same man, you can never have enough connections in. One of the, if you got time, man, just one yeah, quick please, story. Yeah, please, please. So, so to get back to Joe Tate, man, I, I've, I've always admired Joe Tate. <laughs> I mean, if you, you know, as a Cavs fan, you understand before LeBron came, we saw some god-awful basketball. But no matter how bad those teams were, Joe Tate always found a way to make the Cavs interesting. Even when they were 20 games below 500 in February, Joe was so interesting, you always had to listen. That's such a great point. And, and that's, you know, like, like I was saying before, man, everybody develops a style. Everybody's got people that they take bits and pieces and try and emulate their style after. I learned a lot from Joe, and I've been lucky enough to, because you know, a lot of people say they idolize a certain guy or they idolize a certain lady, but they never get a chance to meet them. But mm-hmm. I, I've been fortunate enough to meet Joe more than a handful of times, and he's I've been fortunate enough to have Joe listen to my work. And I remember him telling a story a long time ago about how when he first broke in there was a I think it was a basketball coach listening to him call a football game and the coach stayed tuned in for 10 minutes only to find out the score was like 66 to 6 and the coach's response was doggone you Tate he said you know here I come listening to you I think this is a very close exciting game and then you mentioned the score only to find out that one team's up by 60 points but his his thing was and he always says to this day in the world of radio someone is always listening you just never know who it is and you just never know where they're listening from and he always found a way to make it exciting 
and put his best foot forward, even in a game like that yep. where you know you know the outcome is already pretty much decided. <laughs> he found a way to keep you listening, and he kept that alive throughout all of his years with the Cavs, even when the Cavs were bad. And again, you and I remember those days. Yes, man. we do very too well. Before LeBron arrived, man, there were some really really bad yeah. Cavs teams. Yeah, but he always made them fun to listen. To. Well, to use to to make an analogy, uh, it's the same thing with you. I'm listening to that clip that that sounded like Ohio State just won the national title. I mean, I, you, you know, I would have thought if you take the teams out of it, like you just called a game-winning play of, of a Super Bowl or some playoff game or, you know, pick a national national championship opportunity, and, and it's the same thing. You know, your 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 Joe Tate's passion, uh, it didn't matter, and it's the same thing for you, man. It's, you're, you are passionate about the teams that you're representing, and you hear it in your calls. I mean, you just do. No, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, so tell us tell us a little bit about uh so your your WEOL, you have a new radio show, you're rocking and rolling. Tell us a little bit about that if you would before we finish off. Yeah, yeah. So we launched this show back in, in February of two thousand seventeen. So this this show's not quite a year old. It's called Bullseye on the afternoon. Uh, Mac Douglas is my co host and we're on three to six Monday through Fridays and this this station's been around for almost seventy years now. So this station that's awesome it's got a good reputation out here in lorain county and again it the beauty of radio today is you're available anywhere anytime because every station is available online maybe people people will listen in australia yeah that sound yeah you know people if they like it enough man they'll find ways to listen to it you know there's a, a downloadable app so people can listen on their phones or on their tablets so i mean that's the beauty of radio today you can't hide. I mean, anything you say is going to be put out there, but that's a good thing because, you know, as we stated earlier, look, it's it's got to be something that the station can sell because if the station doesn't make money off of it, they're not going to keep it around very long. So it's it's been a lot of fun for me, man, because I get a chance to talk sports, news, entertainment for three hours a day. and that's you know, that's great. That's great. It, it, you're talking, and, and there's no script. I mean, you guys are just going with right. what's relevant, current news. Yeah, you just you, you, you got to see what's hot for that day. I mean, we schedule guests every day. We have about three guests per show. And, you know, for the last 15, 20 years, man, it's about trying to build networks, build relationships. And a lot of, you know, guys and girls I have on the show, man, they're people that I've met and I've talked to over the years. And that's a never-ending process, man. I mean, you, you can never stop networking. The, the, yeah, that's you see exactly somebody right. that you know can help on your show and give you a good interview you know you, you've got to find those people and they're out there they're all over the place everybody's yeah. got a compelling story and I know that's a big part of what you're doing with the podcast everybody's got a good story to tell you just got to go out there and you got to find them and exactly that's the most interesting thing you know you think about some of the best interviewers in the history of this business or even the most successful personalities in the history of radio you can use Howard Stern as the prime example and you know love stern or hate stern and i'm sure there are a lot of people on both sides of that ledger you cannot deny that that guy is one of the absolute greatest interviewers that has ever lived because he can get people who are considered maybe a bit uptight or maybe they're considered a little bit conservative in their ways he can open them up and he can get them to talk and that's a absolutely not a lot of people can do that. I mean, yep. If you look at the TV spectrum, people thought for many, many years, David Letterman was great at doing that. I'm a big fan of Conan O'Brien. Conan O'Brien puts together one hell of an interview, no matter who the interview subject is. Yep. And that's a big part of what this is, man. When you get people on the show, 
you want to open up and make it less about you and more about them so they can tell you their story. I mean, it's yep. people have great stories out there. Oh, yeah. And if they yeah. don't have great stories that are based on their own personal account, they know of great stories and they can retell some of these stories. So, and, th- and that's why, and that's what I love, like you said, about the podcast and all these different opportunities that are out there with the technologies now is exactly that, man. There's so many amazing... Ins- I, I just had this girl on the other day from uh, Cleveland who uh, just started running two and a half years ago. She's 31 years old, mother of two, married, full-time job, literally never ran a day in her life, and two and a half years ago decides to run a half marathon. And now she's winning 10Ks. She's running marathons in under three and a half hours. I mean... There's these people all over the place in all different industries, and uh, I think that the podcast, the radio, these different medians really allow us to, you know, see what else is out there and take inspiration away from these people, take inspiration away from people like yourselves and say, hey, listen, if I'm trying to get into a business, it doesn't have to be media even, just any business, what I'm taking away from our conversation today is... It is so important to keep yourself out there and network, network, network. You know, if you can go shake somebody's hand and and say hello, don't don't pass the opportunity. I mean, that's really the really key in today's today's day. Oh, no question, man. No, that, that that's a great story uh, about your last interview, yeah. Dick, man. I mean, that's that really is incredible because you know it's an interesting story in that when we get older we find out you know we don't have the energy we used to have we don't have the time we used to have and you get married and you have kids sometimes those things go away and now here she is and she's running at half marathons man that's, she's that's running crazy. full she's running full marathon she just ran new york city in under three and a half hours she she had wow. never run a day in her life two and a half years ago and yeah. uh and has had two surgeries since she started running these past two years it's 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 incredible you know so oh, it's, it's, yeah. it's great stuff man. yeah like I, I i i like it back to remember that scene in joe dirt you know at the beginning of the movie you know they're doing that interview with dennis miller and it's here's the janitor with a mullet he comes in what could this guy bring to the table and dennis miller sits down david spade is joe dirt and he opens up and he gives a great interview and they show those clips of everybody <laughs> listening no matter where they're at yeah. it's like it's stuff like that yeah there are yeah. a lot of people with good compelling stories yes we had a kid on the show i want to say six seven months ago uh he had cancer he beat it he's better he's recovering all that stuff well they started this foundation and this foundation actually not only does it you know does, does it provide money for scholarships for kids who are going through the same thing but when that stuff happens, you know, when kids get cancer, you know, a, a lot of times the siblings that are involved, sometimes they kind of get lost in the mix. Yeah. A lot of what this organization does is it not only provides opportunities for the kids who are recovering from cancer, but it's like the siblings as well who sometimes get lost in the mix. Oh, that's and, interesting. You know, this particular kid, he said, look, my brother was a huge inspiration. I kind of felt like all the attention was put on me when I was going through this illness, and he was a big part of me in my comeback process. So he said, I wanted to make sure that you know, when this happens again, and there's no way of avoiding this, but when it happens again, I want to make sure that the siblings of these kids who are going through the same thing that I went through don't get lost in the mix. And that's that beautiful. scholarship opportunities for them to go out there and continue to achieve. Yeah, no, that's that's beautiful. And again, with today's day and age and, and the technology, there's no reason we shouldn't be doing these types of things and, and you know, creating awareness on all these different issues and different opportunities. And uh, it's, it's really cool to be able to share it. Um, so again, thank you so much. Uh, you're you're doing the radio show. You've you're you're still doing the the baseball games. Uh, what's next for you as you look ahead to uh, the next couple of years of your career? 
That's a great question, man. I mean, I've not been here a year in a while on this. I mean, this the job I'm doing right now, I, I could not love it anymore. So, you know, we always talk about this and go back to this. It's all about who you know. I mean, the, the station manager here is a guy I've been calling games with for, for many years, and Tim Alcorn's his name. He's actually fantastic. If you haven't heard his work, he's one of the best play-by-play guys in the area. As a matter of fact, when Joe Tate retired, Tim Alcorn was one of the finalists to replace him a few years ago. Like, that's that's how good he is. Wow. Anyways, you know, he, he and I have we've been friends for a while. And I mean, I, working for him has been fantastic. You know, we get a chance to cover a lot of the high school sports here in the area as well. And that's opened up another slew of opportunities for me as well. So, I don't know, man. I, I really love being here, and I enjoy doing what I do because I've got the freedom to do things here. I probably wouldn't have the freedom to do it other places. So, right. for the foreseeable future, I enjoy doing this because I'm still able to do the baseball games in the summer, which you know I've been doing for a long time and still enjoy doing it. As long as the time and the opportunities are out there for me, I, I thoroughly enjoy the spot where I'm at. It's, it's great. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I know you love it, as we talked briefly before the show started. Uh, you're loving the radio gig. It's really what you're meant to be doing. Uh, <clears throat> I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think you're meant to be doing both, man. I think you're meant to have your own show, and I think you're meant to be uh, eventually, you know, doing play-by-play for whoever, whatever professional team is lucky enough to have you. Um, and uh, like I said to you before, I really appreciate you coming on, and I really look forward to seeing, watching you. I've been watching you, obviously, as you know, for since you started, but I want to continue to see what happens with you. And, uh, again, people that, that are just tuning in or that have been listening, check out Andy Boltbarge, W-E-O-L. Uh, people want to reach you. Are you available on social media? or? Yeah, check me out on Twitter. I'm at The Rule of Bull. Just very simple, at The Rule of Bull on Twitter. That's the rule of bull. Yeah, if you want to follow me, if you're listening to the show, let me know. I'll give you a shout-out. Always love to know the people are out there tuned in, man, because in the world of radio, like Joe Tate always says, <laughs> somebody's always listening, even if you think they're not. But I always like to know the people are out there tuned in. And if you let me know that you're tuned in, I'll definitely give you a shout-out. You better get a hold of him now before he's super famous, folks. So uh, <laughs> just take advantage of it now. Uh, and I say that. Kind of joking, but kind of not. Uh, big things to continue for you, man. All all the success in the world. I know you just got engaged, so congratulations on that. And uh, like I said, thanks for being here, and uh, look forward to seeing what you do next. My man, I appreciate it as always, man. Thanks for bringing me on. This was a lot of fun. I enjoy watching the podcast, and I'm going to enjoy watching this thing grow. Absolutely. Appreciate it. We'll do it again, brother. We'll do it here in person next time over some cold drinks, and uh, uh, let's get together again soon. That sounds like a plan, my man. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, brother. Take care.